grievously on the soulless citadel. I want to play with new friends. Do not pretend to know me, you vile beast. But I would love to know you. Leave Thorn and join with me. I will provide you everything you need for your twisted feast. Simply leave Thorn alone. Very well. The game that I have placed is as follows. You guys will compete against each other. Whoever gets the best gift to me, the most valuable and powerful gift, will win. The one who wins gets my appreciation, happiness, and joy for all time we're together. The one who loses will have all the pain they once held. Marquis and his tricks. And then he takes a step forward, grips the hand, and shakes it. Very well, new friend. Gingerly walking into this room, you guys then see a beautiful elven maiden, devoid of clothing, except for her purse that has a string over her shoulder. She walks inside with a basket. Her hair mostly obscures the face, so you don't see it at first. You only see the mostly green hair with stripes of white here and there. The very next thing that she does takes her completely by surprise. There are people here, help! Throughout the vastness of the multiverse, there lies a tavern. As you approach its doors, you catch bubbles of laughter that rise and burst into cheers as colorful groups of travelers find comfort in their bonds. As you head inside, the smile of the tavern keeper greets you. They're an otherworldly being with a bluish corporeal form. They wear attire befitting of an innkeeper and they have a large cloudy nebula for hair speckled with stars, which gently sways with their movement. Welcome to the Storyteller's Tavern, where stories are served like ale and a seat is open for you at every table. Tonight's special is the Sunless Citadel, an epic adventure of high fantasy with notes of friendship, danger, and most importantly, hope. Will our adventure survive to descend into the dungeon? Or is there a dark and calamity taking roots far from the sun's reach? Thorn kind of just goes, What? But she's, she's running and then she's calling more people. Trust me on this. And then he turns to everybody and goes, Don't harm her. Wasn't trying to. Next is Seeker's turn. So, Seeker's probably going to presume that other people are going to be coming since this naked elvish woman <laughs> called for backup. After pulling their rapier out, they are going to move 30 feet towards where the noise came from is, and, and then they're going to hold their action to stabby stab any enemies that get within stabby stab range. You approach as fast as you can towards the direction of the door, preparing yourself for engagement. You're closer to both her and Mortis. So now it is top of the round. As the door opens out, light emanates from the door frame, and it is bright like as if inside of that room was a beautiful summer day. It just emanates and brightens half of the hallway. From inside of this door, five goblins appears and looks at what is going on. Now it is Methuselah's turn. As the fun zone moves, the magic inside starts to change and it loses that cartoony, vibrant essence as now in the air, these flowers, these chrysanthemums pop. But around them, there's like these tendrils of darkness that is seemingly starting to corrupt them. They're gonna start spraying water in the faces of anyone who's within the fun zone. The emerging flowers in the middle of the air of the fun zone starts to spray water towards their targets. Both Mortis and 
the elvish woman running towards the door. Mortis, knowing what is to come, protectively places his hand in front of his face so that the water can hit his hand and not his eyes. She, on the other hand, is just so desperate. She's covering her head to the best of her abilities for protection. And that allows her to protect her thighs as well from the incoming distraction of the flowers. And she continues to run. Methuselah saw that Thorn hit her pretty badly. And I have this kind of, oh, he might do it again. Just because, like, Thorn, it's Thorn's chaotic. Thorn, you know, might just be like, well, she's calling for backup. And, you know, I just don't want her to get hurt the crossfires of this sort of attack that we're going through. So their mage hand is gonna glow this red color shifting from the usual blue, and there's gonna be that usual shadowy darkness sort of clouding that magic. And then they're going to throw their mage hand as if it's like one of those sticky dollar store toys. The wave of energy is able to hit her in the back of her head. It is with such sheer impact that she is propelled forward leaning her head almost all the way to the middle of her chest per se and she disorientedly continues to run forward somehow she's still moving it must be out of sheer determination Methuselah will see that hit cringe and be like sorry I'll gingerly move in front of Thorin although I know that's probably like not gonna do anything for this chaotic being I am helpless in the sights of Thorin Thorn's turn. Thorn is going to step around Methuselah. I'm so sorry, bestie. Can I say that when you do that, Methuselah tries to catch you and stop you, but it's like butterfingers. I can't catch you. Thorn raises his hands and just yells, Go And he'll cast Eldritch Blast again at the back of his lady's head. It would be a 15. Unfortunately, that misses. It hits the ground just beside her feet, but... Aiming for such a small area, it would have been a very difficult shot considering her placement and how she's moving at the moment. Now it is her turn that she continues her dash, and that is just enough for her to run past the goblins. The goblins not paying attention to her allows her to just run past them. The hex that Thorn had on her drops because he can no longer see her. And she closes the door behind her, completely cutting off the light of the room into this hallway. But the place is still well illuminated by the light of the glowing mushrooms, as well as the light source of Mortis's lantern. Next is one of the goblins. This goblin sees you guys in the distance. Then he places an arrow on their short bow and shoots. The arrow flies past Seeker. He was not able to shoot it. Next is the boss, the one that stays in front of the other goblins. And he is a little bit better dressed than the other ones. This guy actually holds a javelin and looking at Mortis, he throws it. Although it lands just nearby Mortis, if it does not hit the mark by a long shot. Mortis, now it is your turn. So the first thing Mortis is going to do is he's going to take the lantern that he's holding his left hand and hook it onto his belt. And before Mortis rushes forward, he's going to hold his greatsword up towards his face and he's going to cast a spell. Gods, should you still hear my call? Empower my blade. He's going to raise his greatsword into the air and cast Divine Favor. A phantasmagorical glow emanates from the blade, almost as if it was a resonance emanating from it. But where before it was a glowing bright light of goodness from she, this one is void, is somewhat lacking that sparkle, and it just feels the power on it, but it's almost a hollow power. And with that, Mortis is going to charge towards the lead goblin who threw the javelin. He's going to strike at him with his sword. Go for your attack. That's 13. With a powerful and so precise attack, you bring the blade arching upwards so you can cut clean this goblin. In the very last moments, the goblin boss quickly 
grabs the goblin that is beside him and throws it in front of you as he moves backwards. The goblin that is literally just pulled out of nowhere, just cut clean in half by your blade. And then Mortis is going to ready his blade and he stares up at the goblin in disgust. Coward! And because he killed the goblin, he's going to go for a second attack. Unfortunately, as your frustration drives your blade this time, the goblin's able to perceive the trajectory and sidesteps it, avoiding danger, as you hit the air instead. Well, the next goblin was going to be that one, but that one got wasted. Instead, now it's Erky's turn. He then decides to move. So he's close to the combat with the goblins as well. He sees the boss that is engaged with Mortis, so he doesn't want to bother that. Instead, he looks at one of the goblins in the back, and he crouches onto his holy symbol and says those magical words. Lirta's light! Destroy them light! He's able to jump to the side, and Erky goes, Oh, curses! Next is that goblin that just got to dodge the attack goes around as best as he can, Mortis, now flanking with the goblin boss. He goes for a strike. Quick and treacherous stab goes from behind you and hits the back of your leg, causing a total of eight slashing damage. Seeker, it is your turn now. Seeker is going to move to flank with their friend Mortis. And they're going to stabby-stab that goblin that's there with their rapier. 18 to hit. That is a hit. And that's going to be 16 piercing damage. With feline-like speed, you quickly get behind that one goblin that just slashed your friend and is able to completely pierce him from the back. Rapier blade appearing in front of his chest and you pull it back. And Seeker's gonna nod at Mortis. I got your back, Mortis. Don't you worry. Mortis looks back at you and smiles. Thanks for the save, Seeker. Lastly, it is the last goblin that hasn't moved yet. That one will just approach beside the goblin boss to engage with Mortis and goes for an, an attack. In the middle of the chaos, this goblin takes the opportunity and slashes you on your arm causing a total of four slashing damage. And with that, it is the top of the round with Mephuselah's turn. So once again, the fun zone makes a move and encompasses most of the goblins aside from one. Uh, and the magic starts to shift as darkness actually like eats up the chrysanthemums. And then it starts to glow cartoony rhythm once more and the goblins inside become cartoony and in the air as well oddly enough there are these cartoony snakes that start to float within there and they look really really funny but the darkness starts to twist it once more and the snakes start to hiss and cause everyone inside to start laughing but as they do these black tears start to fall down their faces so Methuselah is going to play a song on Yorick that is once again this like buzzing sort of resounding song and the instrument's gonna glow this violet color. As I do, I'm playing this song that is bringing the goblin boss back to their younger days when they were in goblin school. <laughs> <laughs> bringing out all of their anxieties about being on stage and not wearing any pants. I'm casting Vicious Mockery on him. All right, so he takes six psychic damage, and as the song overwhelms him and he's brought back to his goblin school days, he looks down at his own clothes and he's like, oh no, these are not the dapper clothes that I thought I'm gonna get made fun of by all the goblins. <laughs> and he's plagued with regret for one minute. This goblin, who is engaged in battle, and currently laughing his head off, looks down as he continues to laugh, but is the equivalent of looking at a sad clown laughing with tears as he's looking down and then up and then up like why god why thorn it is your turn 
Now that the elven woman is gone, Thorne's gonna turn his attention towards the goblin boss. Thorne will position himself so that he has a better vantage point of the goblin boss. And then he raises his hands, they glow red, and he's gonna do good old faithful Eldritch Blast. You hurl the magical red glowing blast with petals that are flying out of the blast as it literally just hits the goblin boss. <laughs> How do you want to do this? Thorn launches the Eldritch Blast and it hits the goblin boss square in the chest and then he goes, just because you're big doesn't mean you're cool. Your pants, they don't do it. And then like the extra humiliation seems to consume him as he takes the last three damage and just like crumbles into a heap of sadness and regret. And just like so, he falls to the ground, crying to the point that he cannot breathe anymore and just bleh, the ground. Thorn is going to use his bonus action to try to hide inside of some shrubbery that's behind him. That's a dirty 20 for stealth. You lunge yourself into side of the shrubbery and after shaking a little bit, nobody knows where Thorn is anymore. That is Thorn's turn. Next is one of the goblins that is still remaining. He shot an arrow at Seeker, but missed. And upon watching all of his, pretty much all of his comrades getting decimated by these strangers and interlopers, he then curses under his breath something in Goblin and disengages against Seeker. And he's able to dash into the room, avoiding the fun zone by running around it. And then he runs away from combat. Next is Morden. Mortis runs through the room. You guys just hear laughter echoing. <laughs> it's all going, it's all going bad. All going bad. There's no hope left. No hope for any of us. <laughs> Nets Erky. He looks at Mortis running away in an emotional existential crisis. Runs as fast as he can towards the same direction and then tries to approach a little bit more. Clearly has an intent in his mind to help his friend. Next is one of the goblins, the last one that is inside of the fun zone. He runs into a diagonal angle away from the fun zone, but closer inside of the room. Similarly close to where Thorn jumped into the shrubbery. Seeker, you're next. So for my attack, I'm going to use my rapier to stab the goblin. And then for my bonus action, I'm going to use my dagger to stab the goblin. Do your first attack. An 11. The goblin is able to dodge out of the way despite his manic laughter. And now for my bonus action. 15 to hit. How do you want to do this? Oh! Naturally. Sure, the goblin saw the first attack with the rapier coming, but this goblin underestimated Seeker and didn't see the dagger that they stealthily had. And then that's when, that's when Seeker gets them. So with a very powerful and quick thrust, Seeker goes for an attack with their rapier. The goblin then is able to sidestep, but as they are laughing, they did not notice that dodging it the way that they did position themselves perfectly for the attack with the dagger and then it thrusts the dagger all the way in its neck the goblin falls to the ground dead a seeker then cleans their dagger on the remains of the goblin and that is the end of the call so yeah methuselah is gonna hear the things that mortis says and is gonna approach and be like oh, mortis are you all right it is important to say that as you approach mortis urky was closer he gets to mortis asks if he wants any help. Mortis is nodding to him. Mephusel, you reach Mortis as Erki is just finishing with his Cure Wounds spell. Mortis, are, are you alright? Sorry about the spell. I, I didn't really mean it to hurt you. The laughter slowly ceases. and then, But then, like, even after you could tell the spell isn't affecting him anymore, he still giggles a little bit. You know something, even when you're in a deadly situation with little hope in sight, sometimes you just need to laugh. 
you know, just let out all of those emotions and just say what the hell. Can I do an insight on Mortis right now? Sure, go ahead. 19. Can you describe Mortis's mental state? Is what he's saying a serious thing? Oh, ha, ha, I'm laughing because, you know, hopeless situations are funny. Or is it more like, I'm breaking on the inside? Definitely closer to the latter. I feel like he's at the point, you know, when you're having a really bad day, you're just at your wits end and all you can do is laugh at the absurdity of how unfortunate situation you're in. That's kind of what he was going for it, where he's like, you know, sometimes you just gotta laugh. Sometimes you just gotta <laughs> laugh at the absurdity of life. So like definitely a depressive <laughs> thing. You realize those aspects of Mortis as he is engaged with you in conversation. Meanwhile, Lurky also notices it. Yeah, buddy, gotta laugh, you know? Can't let those things get to you. You gotta be positive on these moments. Yes, I do think laughter is, is quite good for the soul, especially in darker times. But if you need anything, you just let us know, alright? And he stands up and composes himself. There's no time for that. We uh, we should get after that woman. She she may be alerting Belak to our presence. At that moment, then Seeker approaches. Uh, hi, Erky. Can I ask you something? Uh, yeah, sure. What's going on? How can I help? I've I heard what you said about not killing the elven girl. And there, I'm, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what you said. I think that that was very wise. But what did you mean that you think that she's a victim? I'm just curious because I, I, don't, I don't understand. Starting with the fact that she's not an elven girl. Say what now? She's a dryad. Would Seeker know what a dryad is? Uh, roll a nature check. Can I roll a nature check? Sure. I'll roll one. Can Thorn poke his head out of the bush and climb out of the bush and walk over and also do a roll? Sure. Mortis, you don't know what that means. You may have heard the name a long time ago. You have an impression, a gut feeling, that it, it was maybe by talking to Nera, one of those long ago conversations. But unfortunately what it entails, you have no idea. Seeker, you may have heard a story or like a fable or something about a dryad. And honestly, it's also been a long time. All that you remember from that tale is that it's a nature spirit, especially a tree spirit. Thorn, you know what a dryad is. A dryad is a spirit tree. Basically what a soul of a tree is when they are old and special enough, enriched with powers to take form and project that form outside of its physical body. And you have heard of dryads? You have even spoken to dryads in the place of magical and color. But those dryads were very different from this one. Those were full of laughter that would dance around and jump on the canopies of other trees. As their beautiful forms would just soar through the sky it was part of the environment back then. You never really interacted to one, but you know what they are. Thorn goes over with branches in his hair, and he goes, Yes! Oh, Thorn knows what that is! They are, they are spirits in the trees. They are usually very, very fun, but that one was not fun. Nefuzula, poor old Tybalt. <laughs> I knew it! No. He explained to you once what a dryad was. Dryads are things of legend. The most beautiful of women meant to be courted, allured. It is the conquest of every bard to be able to gaze upon a dryad and gain their favor. They are wise, they are beauty incarnate, and they are supposed to be the muses of mad music. So much that at first you must have thought that Chrysantha was a dryad once, but man, he led you off on that <laughs> so much. I will say if Methuselah could blush, they'd be blushing right now. Yes, let us go get this dryad now. She may have more information for us. Yes, and uh, maybe let's not try to blast her. And Methuselah's like fanning themselves, oddly enough. Uh, Methuselah, are you quite all right? Oh, it's a little hot in here. What? Or he just 
instinctively asks. I, I, I'm kind of with Erky on this one. Uh, what? I think I think that the temperature's quite a normal for. I, again, I don't know. I, I I think that we should move on and keep searching for the dryad. Enough about temperatures. The more we talk, the faster she runs. You have to understand. Do not hurt her. Dryads are kind and very peaceful spirits. I don't understand what she would be doing down here. Her tree must have been all the way to the surface. But why would she work against us? Send goblins after us. Uh, I know very little about dryads, but I believe they may have some sort of connection to druids as nature spirits. Uh, perhaps Belak manipulated her into serving him. To think one would use such power so irresponsibly. Just promise me you're not gonna hurt her. And he's looking at Thorn. Never. Oh no, I could never hurt anyone as beautiful as that. If she summons more goblinses, maybe. Well, I mean, I think that we should do our best to help her because, you know, as you've said, her her tree is probably up on the surface and Yes, definitely. I imagine as we're saying as we're kinda of walking towards the door. You guys then Enter the room. The bright light is blinding. But as you enter, you are able to see this beautiful garden within this relatively big room. This garden is covered with well-placed shrubbery, real grass, and even flower beds. This massive maple tree is in the very center of the room that creates a canopy that is big enough to provide shade in its immediate vicinity and providing the light source. There is what seems to be what you can only be described as a miniature sun at the very top of the ceiling, providing the light source towards this room entirely. Do I know anything about this room that was before? As it was before, this was once just one of Dark Warden's miniature greenhouses. It was nothing like this. I'm gonna say that Methuselah gets like a wave of inspiration upon seeing all this beautiful nature and the tree and all these like flowers. And it's gonna start to like very soft song. Just a light one that Methuselah probably learned from Fool's Fortune. Do a performance check. 22. This beautiful song starts to emanate from Methuselah. Beautiful and well-composed and well-performed. It brings a certain warmness to you guys listening to it. But it doesn't only affect you guys. It also affects the well-described dryad that was hiding behind the tree, but now peeks just a little bit away from the frame of the tree. I'm gonna stand in front of Thorin. <laughs> hey, Methuselah. Yes, I see it. Would Would you like to take the lead? I I think you might be best equipped for this. And offer her healing. No one has an apology. You. Um, Methuselah's gonna approach, still playing the song. And what What is What is she? She's just peeking. Still? She's just peeking. But when you get close enough, she does hide behind the tree. It's all right. I'm not going to hurt you. I have a hard time believing that. Uh, her voice emanates from behind the tree. Uh, in between heavy breaths. Let me help you. I can heal some of the damage that was done. Roll a persuasion check. With it. With it. Seeker is gonna kind of tilt their head and ask her, Uh, would you mind telling us your name? I'm Seeker of the Wind and these are my friends. 23. Very gingerly, she peeks out uh, behind, from behind the tree again. And then she makes a worried face but then slowly she does step out from behind the tree and her beautiful self is in front of you guys again my name is Daphne I'm gonna keep approaching and I'm gonna say is this your tree? she places her hand on the tree this is me this is one of the most beautiful trees I've ever seen it's so grand and the colors the leaves thank you I'm well fed, despite everything. Ah, if you don't mind, and I'm gonna kind of reach. Place her head down and then to the side, as if to allow you to place your hand on her. 
I'll place the mage hand on her. You know, not super close, but just close enough. So the hand is going to glow red, and as it touches her, chrysanthemums are going to sprout from the wound as I cast Cure Wounds. On the side of her shoulder, there is these very nasty bite marks. But charged with your magical energy, chrysanthemums are able to sprout and close those wounds. Thank you. That does feel better. I'm sorry that we hurt you. It wasn't intentional. I think you calling for help sort of put us on edge a little bit. I apologize for that. Fortunately, it is what I'm meant to do. It's alright, you don't have to apologize. It was all us. What are you guys doing here? Well, I... To be honest, we're not really looking for a meeting with Balak. We're sort of here to take him down. Can I roll an insight on her reaction to when I say that? Sure, right ahead. Although she is very hard to perceive through, that is mainly due to her beauty. It is very easily distracting. You do see a bit of relief, maybe? But you're not entirely sure. She goes, I imagined you be for that. You guys are not the usual people to come by this area. I hope that doesn't put you in any harm down here. Maybe if you guys fail. Methuselah, Methuselah's fortune. A bard. I have heard songs from traveling bards before. When I was naughty here, they were very beautiful. And yours is good too. Oh, thank you. Overhearing the conversation, Thorn and then was like approaching. And then when he gets closer to where Methuselah is, he kind of butts his way into the conversation and goes, You were not always here inside of this place. Did you Did you fall very far when, when all the ground caved in? Instinctively, she takes three steps back. And then she steals herself and goes, No, I was brought here just a few months ago. Forced here few months ago. Did the druid carry an entire tree with him? It wasn't by himself. He did summon other creatures to carry it, carry me here. Why did it do that? Apparently he needed someone to care for his garden. Me being a tree spirit, I'm able to nurture in a way that even a druid might have difficulties. This is my house, this room, where I reside. Outside, in the gallery, the little crabgrass Shrubbery and moss are all alive because of me. When he needs help, he summons me to his garden so I can help him care for the trees, the flowers, and mushrooms that he resides down there. Oh, well, Thorns is very sorry. Thorns thought that maybe you were gonna attack us because you made all the bad goblins come. So Thorns is very sorry. Thorns is sorry. Defensively, she still nods. In acceptance. Yes, yes, but but so use is trapped here. Yes, um, why not use your powers to to hurt the druid? I don't have powers to hurt. Most of what I do is care for the plants, for the rest of my my kin. So, in hearing all of this, Seeker is gonna not even turn their head, but they're gonna glance at Methuselah because. Daphne isn't the only person they've met who has been forced to be in the Sunless Citadel against their will in their lives. And all they're going to say is, if the only way that us going up against the Druid would hurt you is if we fail, it looks like we have another reason to succeed. So, where did you come from before? lived in a beautiful glade in the surface in a small patch of woods closer to the north it was nice and beautiful with a knoll that was home to a circle of druids that kept at bay dangers and made sure to heal the the forest through their focus in terms of fire i was happy there that sounds wonderful is there any way that we can help you get back there? Unfortunately, very doubt that. 
for uprooting my tree without a proper means. Might as well kill me. Well, the druid did it, so there must be a way. I don't think you guys can do it at the moment right now. Not by yourselves, at least. Um, Mortis takes this opportunity to kind of walk up into her view. Greetings. I am Mortis. Apologies again for our previous altercation. Uh, it may interest you to know that I, I once knew someone who was a druid uh, and taught me to care greatly for nature. And ever since we came down here and discovered that there was a druid using their powers for ill, I have made it my quest to stop him and to bring balance back to nature. It is my hope that once we succeed in our quest, some light may sh once again shine on this dreary place. Perhaps then you would be able to live in peace. I just want to say that you are fortunate and blessed for being able to have a relationship with a druid. Indeed I was. They are very caring. As a group and community, Balak is an exception, unfortunately. He has been twisted and corrupted by his own anxieties and fears. And that has driven him to acts that goes beyond what a normal druid would do. Why is Black doing this? It doesn't seem like this sort of thing is something that an ordinary druid would do from what I've heard in songs and what Mortis have, has told me. It's because he's called the outcast. What does that mean, though? Wherever circle he was from, they shunned him. I do not know as to why, he never confined me with that. To be honest, I wasn't really interested in getting to know him either. So I don't suppose you would know the order of these events? His, his being twisted, his exile from his circle, and them calling him the outcast. You, you don't know what order these things happened in, do you? Um, my conjectures, in the matter. All that I know is that one day he took me from my glade, from the woods that I lived in, and then he placed me here and tasked me to care for these plants and kin, and to help him care for his favorite tree, as well as his garden. I just assumed based on interacting with him that, due to his own shortcomings, he has become something different than other druids usually are. I promise you, his greed and selfishness will not go unpunished. We will stop this man, even if it kills us. And me a second time. I do have uh, two questions. Um, one, what... Did the druid have any plans for, for this garden here? He cares for it. He misses the trees and the flowers of the surface, and as a way to make me happy, he brought them here to keep me company too, for these are some of the flowers of my glade, of my old home. I think that's, uh, that's fair enough. It definitely makes this place look a lot more beautiful than it was before in the Draconic Empire. Ah, second question. Do you know anything about the Apple of Virtue? It's a silly name the goblins gave it to it. It's the fruit of the tree that he cares the most of. It's a powerful tree, but I don't like it. Why is that? That tree is not natural in ways that it really... She kind of shudders a little. It really makes me afraid of it. Would you say that it's evil? I would say so, yes. Would you say evil in its growth or evil in corruption? I believe since it took root. This is gonna kind of look like a little like awkward hearing that, like mm, a little cringe, like that doesn't sound very good. Would you say the same about the, as they call them, apples of virtue? Uh, could they give off a sort of evil power? I try to stay away from that tree as much as I can. 
but the healing properties of the fruit are real as much as the danger that comes from that tree. I feel like hearing that confirmation of the healing powers being real, that sort of gives a Kong to Methuselah of like, yes, this, this tree is probably evil, but maybe the apple can still help me. To help bring you peace, uh, would it benefit you for us to remove the tree once we have defeated Balak? It hurts me to say that to wish upon harm to another one of I can, but I don't think this place will ever Never be able to be anything but an evil place with that tree here. I understand your struggle. Uh, to take a life is not an easy feat, but it is as you say, this tree is unnatural. It is disrupting the cycle. I, I used to know quite a bit about a cycle. It used to be my whole life, but... Now, I know that we must protect nature, and if destroying this tree will do that, then I am willing to try. Thor butts in again and goes, You said the glade you came from had druids in it, yes? Near the woods, and no further north. Yes, yes, maybe when we are done here, we could... We could try to find them, and then they can come here and take you to the surface. It's possible. These are druids after all. They lived through centuries. Being hidden, they are not easy to find. It's okay. Thornsis has many friends who can help him find things that are very hidden. And I have an eternity to, to do that, so, you know, if my friends can't in their lifetimes, I'm sure I could. Okay. Uh, and I, I just have one more question for you. Have you seen recently any other tabaxi that gonna look like me, but reverse color? I'm oh, sorry. I have not tend to focus on my garden and on the plants here. If someone was brought to Belak in his garden, unfortunately it is only for one reason only. Go on. She kind of sighs hesitantly. Methuselah puts a mage hand on Seeker's shoulder. For me to stay healthy, I need water and sunlight. When Balak brought me here, he cut it into the stone to make sure that a natural vein of water would be reached down here. He put the earth on this gallery so that the roots of my tree could reach the water in a normal way. He made a deal to bring this artifact that lights just like the sun outside. As warm as summer, so I can be healthy, despite the fact that it's winter outside. Instinctively, she kind of touches her hair, specifically on a spot where there is a white trail. That's what I need to survive and to be fed. History needs something else. History needs life to survive. The only reason why people are brought down there. Seeker is going to drop down to all fours and just run away. I'm gonna say that Methuselah follows, but like not running, just more like an awkward shuffle out the room after them. Mm -hmm. What about the rest of you guys? Because Erky follows the two out in a panicky kind of like, oh god, people are running, and then he goes after. Uh, Mortis will stay with with Daphne, and he kind of turns to her and says, Sorry about that. Um, someone very important to my friend was taken, and they are concerned about them. I see. I think I understand. 
we appreciate all of the help you've been able to provide us, and I promise, uh, after our quest is complete, we will not forget you. Thank you. I don't expect you to be able to bring me back to my blade, but even if I'm supposed to stay here, I'll be happy by just caring for my kin here. My wife once told me that trees are some of the most empathetic beings to ever exist uh, because of everyone they care for. I see now that she was telling the truth. Hide smiles at me. Thorn, what do you do? Thorn, you seek a run out, and then he looks at Mortis and looks at Daphne. Then he looks at Mortis and looks at Daphne, and then he goes, Can I climb your tree? Um, maybe not, please. Oh, it's just, it's one of the tallest tree the ones has ever seen. Maybe another time. Okay. Thorn, you're being rude to the tree spirit. I'm sorry. Thorn may also ask. He is sorry for <laughs> looking at you. What do you mean? When you have no clothes on. What are clothes? Oh, what Thorn is wearing is clothes. That's just animal hide. Yes, yes, but they go on bodies so that so that people do not look at them. Oh, but I have bark. I mean, yes, but still has body. She kind of looks at her tree and... Yeah, but wood body uh, Mortis is gonna like at this point just put a hand on on Thorn's head I, I think we're dealing with a different sort of culture here Thorn it's it's best not to ask too many questions oh okay well Thorn also has to ask have you ever been to the Feywild not personally I have family who was from there you are very beautiful. Yes, you're very beautiful and luminous. Would you like to make friends with someone very, very special? Maybe another time. I need to rest first. Oh, okay. Well, Thorn will make sure to tell you all about them once you are more rested. She nods. At this point, Mortis uh, turns to Thorn. Perhaps we should go make sure Seeker is alright. Yes, 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 yes! And then Thorn goes on all fours and also starts running out of the room. As you turn around, Mortis, to proceed, hesitantly she quickly grabs onto your hand. And then she waits for you to look back with a lot of hesitation. As if she doesn't know if she should say this, she goes, Your friend was interested in the fruit of the tree downstairs. Indeed. It is a very, very powerful fruit, yes. Maybe the most powerful thing in this place. But just as much as it gives, that fruit can take away. Do not be swayed by it. Are you saying that using the fruit could be dangerous? Anything about that tree is dangerous. I appreciate your caution, but... This is a difficult situation. You see, uh, my friend, his wife is very ill, and and they were hoping that they could use the fruit to heal her. Just be careful. I will echo your cautions. Thank you. She nods and lets her hand go. And as you start to move away, you see it from the corner of your eye. She places a hand onto the tree and then steps into it. Clearly, she has gone to rest. Well met, fellow traveler. You seem world weary and in need of respite from this harsh world we live in. Fear not, I have just the thing for one such as you. An actual play D&D podcast titled Beholding Out for a Hero. This podcast releases bi-weekly on Wednesdays, 
Oh, but fear not, traveler. You can find this particular treat almost anywhere that podcasts are released. Here, allow me to tell you more about it. Tis the tale of four... intrepid adventurers. Miki, Kitty with an I.E., Jem, and Sergeant Patches. These misfits strive to solve mysteries set before them, although they certainly take that sweet time going about it. You do not believe me? Come closer and listen to my crystal ball. That doesn't mean I'm just going to eat you at the first chance I get. Fully organless. My insides are also dry. No organs. No. I am not a compulsive liar. Despite the way she's making it sound, we're not cops. Oops. I was wondering why you were mentioning dark vision. I was like, why does that matter? It's morning. (laughs) Go ahead, traveler. Take my scrying crystal and dive into the world of beholding out for a hero. Discovered almost anywhere podcasts are found. You will not be disappointed. That's the sound of me disappearing in like a magical mist. Unfortunately, you've reached the end of this episode of The Sunless Citadel. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to us on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts, and be sure to catch the next installment of The Sunless Citadel every Thursday at 12pm EST. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review. It's a small way to show your support that goes a long way. To connect with us, follow our social media accounts, And if you'd like to support us, you can head over to our Patreon to join the conversation, view sneak peeks of our next project, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Our intro score was created by Patrick Corden from Off the Beaten Path Musical. The Sunless Citadel can be found in Tales from the Yawning Portal by Wizards of the Coast, and the world of Nosomundos was created by Pedro Stockler. Thanks again for listening from all of us at the Storyteller's Tavern. Now take this bardic inspiration for your next adventure.